Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I just feel so happy in this very moment. I feel so happy every week during the show because I get to share with the people who are there with me in video land or in audio land or in ether land or in consciousness, all the amazing stuff going on right now. I mean, there is a study every day that I read that just gives me remarkable insight into what's going on and illuminates our journey and how as we shift our awareness, shift our consciousness, shift our minds, our bodies and our realities change dramatically. In a recent study, the researchers looked at the link between Alzheimer's plaques, beta amyloid plaques of the brain, and the quality of people's lives, and especially the quality of their thought. And they teased out all the factors like age, and lifestyle, where they live, risk factors, and then they looked for what was really correlating the most with the buildup of beta amyloid plaques of the brain. And when they looked at the, all the possibilities of what correlated best with the increase of beta amyloid plaques of the brain, it turned out that the factor that did it most was the pausing. I know I talk too fast very often, so when I pause, you know I'm about to say something important. <laughs> so, so what they found was the thing that correlated most with beta amyloid plaques of the brain was negative thinking negative thinking, it correlated more than everything else going on in those people's lives. And in fact, the more negative thinking, the higher level of negative thinking, the greater the accumulation of beta amyloid plaques in the brain. And they said that that was the first study that directly linked mood, a mental attitude, a mental approach to a physical phenomenon like the formation of beta amyloid plaques, which are the signature of Alzheimer's disease. So in all kinds of ways, we are able to affect our bodies, affect our realities by the quality of our consciousness. And each week on the show, I get to come on and share with you what is possible for you, the science behind it, and most importantly, give you really practical tools of what to do to influence your own health and happiness. You can make an enormous difference in your levels of health and happiness. And in fact, in one study in my new book, This Brain, we show in an MRI study that people get happier when they meditate, they're mindful, and they do these things for, for their own well-being. And what they get happier by way of brain function is, is gamma. Gamma is the highest brainwave frequency. It's 30 cycles per second or more. And when people's brains are firing at gamma, they're creative, they're productive, they're happy, they're feeling really good. These monks in that study, their brainwaves change dramatically during meditation. In fact, they, their amount of gamma, the amount of this happy wave, it increased not by 25% or 50% or 100%, it increased 25-fold by 25 times, that's 2,500% increase in the happy wave when you do this. So you really want to be in that state and you really want to be in that kind of elevated emotional mood and start your day that way. So each week on the show, I bring you 
both the facts and also practical things you can do and inspire yourself to put these into practice. So I encourage you to play around, use those interventions, those tips and techniques that work best for your lifestyle. They're very different from person to person. For some people, it's yoga. Some people love qigong and moving meditations. Other people love time in nature. Whatever floats your boat, whatever really works for your lifestyle, the only wrong thing you can do is do nothing and stay the way you are and not give yourself the benefit of all this new science, all these wonderful new techniques. So make sure you grab a hold of these techniques and use them in your life. My guest today is a friend and a fellow traveler. Her name is Emily Fletcher. She is a leading expert in meditation for high performance. She is the creator of the Ziva technique, that's Z-I-V-A, Ziva, and the founder of Ziva, where she created the world's first online meditation program. She also had a 10-year career in Broadway before that, and she tells her story in her book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, which I highly recommend. It's very readable, full of examples, really rooted in the science, and a whole lot of fun, like Emily herself. <laughs> Emily, welcome. <laughs> oh, there's that signature laugh. I think it is the mark of an enlightened master. You can tell by their giggle. But yours is not a giggle. Yours is a phenomenon. <laughs> it is amazing. And we, have, we find we have a lot to laugh about. In fact, one of the things I'll be asking you about in the show, and as I've been going through the book and thinking about what really reflect on together, is how we connect with people when we are stimulating these elevated meditative states in our own our own awareness, and then your friend and the person you talk to at work and, and all people around you aren't in that space at all. So we'll get to that later on. But mm -hmm. I'm so grateful to have you sharing. And I also love the way in the book, you really focus on not meditation, meditation's sake, but meditation for the sake of a wonderful life. And then toward the end of the book, you talk about society. So please do share with us that really moving story of your time on Broadway and those time, those occasions that made you feel so low, even though you were doing what you loved with your life. Mm -hmm. I imagine that even if it's not Broadway for you, we all have some dream that we've achieved, you know, even if it was a boyfriend or a zero in the bank account or a specific job that you thought was going to make you happy. And then you get the thing and lo and behold, it doesn't make you happy because, you know, we know intellectually these things can't fulfill us, but we still, there's still a secret part of us that believes that, well, when I meet Prince Charming or when I get the dream job, then I will be happy. And so I was very fortunate that I got my first Broadway show at 22 and it's what I wanted to do since I was eight and three weeks later was the saddest I had ever been. And I realized pretty early that I was more interested in the happiness of pursuit than I was the pursuit of happiness, right? That I was actually happiest when I was moving towards my goal. And then once I achieved it, it weirdly felt like it was taken away from me. But I didn't really have the wherewithal to understand that at 22. So I just thought, next boyfriend, next show, next zero, like, let's keep hustling. Did that for a decade. And my last Broadway show was a chorus line. And that mean, and my job was to understudy three of the lead roles. That means you show up to the theater with no idea which character you're going to play. Sometimes they would switch me from one to the other. Sometimes I would just be chilling in my dressing room doing my taxes or some nonsense. And they would say, Emily Fletcher, we need you on stage. And of course I would start panicking, you know, full blown adrenaline, cortisol, heart rate through the roof, running down seven flights of stairs. I'm on stage before I know which character I'm playing. So long story short, that constant fight or flight led to insomnia. I couldn't sleep through the night for 18 months, sort of going gray at 27. I was getting sick and injured and it was very confusing why I was living my dream on Broadway and I was miserable. 
And so thankfully this woman sitting next to me in the dressing room had a harder job than I did, but she was nailing it. I mean, similarly to you, every bite of food, every song she sang, every dance she danced was a celebration. And I said, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. And I probably rolled my eyes and didn't believe her because this was 12 years ago. So there was not the science then that there is now. It wasn't as popular then as it is now. And so I didn't believe her, just kept having insomnia and sucking at my job, to be quite honest. And then finally, I was like, I felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed about being on stage in front of 2,000 people and not being able to perform at the level I knew I was capable of. So I learned to meditate. And on the first day of my first class, I was in a different state of consciousness that I had ever been in before. And I liked it. And then that night I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. Wow. I have every night since that was 12 years ago. Then I stopped going gray. I'm 41 now. I have like two gray hairs. It was legitimately going gray in my twenties. I didn't get sick for eight and a half years after I started meditating, not even a cold. I used to get sick five to six times a year. I stopped getting injured, but most importantly, I started enjoying my job again. And that's really what I've dedicated my career to is like you said, I did do in the book is that I, I really am beating the drum that we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. No one cares if you're a good meditator. No one cares what type of meditation you're doing even. The only thing your people in your life care about is are you present? Are you kind? Are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you contributing? And so whatever you need to do to get to those markers, like let's do that. There's so much suffering in the world and much of it is unnecessary. Yeah, I, I like, love that you emphasize that. It's not, it's, it's a means to an end. And like, you know, if I, if I had dinner with my friend downtown last night and you asked what I did last night, I'd tell you I did it with my friend downtown. I wouldn't tell you I took the bus. I took the bus to get there. And I did take the bus to get there, but meditation is the bus. It gets you there and you need a good, reliable, effective bus, but it is, <laughs> it is what gets you there. And so how do you then transition from then discovering this and finding it made rapid changes in your life to then cementing your practice. Let's just start with cementing your practice. I guess that, that because you had so much rapid immediate result from it, that gave you the energy to, to keep on going with it. I know many people don't have that experience. Try the first few times, their minds wander, they can't stay centered, and you have such comforting advice for them in stress, let's accomplish more. What do you tell people like that who don't have that immediate epiphany that this is really, I'm dropping into the zone and it's working for me. Well, there's two really important points here. And one is that meditation is a skill, right? And so even though we're not meditating for the point of meditation, and even though it's not, it's not, the point is not just to do it, it is a skill. And because it is simple, I think people think it should be easy or because it's simple, people think they should already magically have the skill. And, and this is a real, we're doing a real disservice, especially to people who are starting out because then people, they think that the point is to clear their mind. They sit down in a chair, they say, okay, brain, shut up. Sure would love a snack. Oh no, no, I'm thinking about snacks. I suck at meditation, I quit. <laughs> right, and then they're out before they've even started. And so it's like, if you understand that it's a skill, then you're gonna go and seek someone to teach you the skill and you're gonna learn to make yourself self-sufficient, right? And now when you say meditation, people just assume it's a free app. Like now this free app of someone guiding you through is something ubiquitous meditation. And what we do at Ziva is we train people to be self-sufficient. So I was lucky in that my first exposure to meditation was an actual course. So it was two hours a day for four days. And the whole aim of it was so that I wasn't dependent on a teacher or a phone or guiding or drums or, you know, gongs or anything else or, you know, incense. It was just, no, I just close my eyes and go inside. And so for me, from out of the gate, I was always taught the importance of self-sufficiency. And I think with that, because I right out of the gate invested in a training and dedicated my time to learning the skill, I immediately saw the results. Whereas a lot of people are trying to just do like 10 minutes of a free app 
and then expect their whole life to change. And it's like, well, no, it, there is an ROI that has to happen, but you don't get the return on investment if you don't actually make the investment. Like I am not getting dividends on the Amazon stock that I did not buy. Right? Like you have to first buy the stock if you want to get the return on investment. So that's thing one. Thing two is that there really is a lot of misinformation about meditation out there. And I'd say the number one culprit is this idea that we have to clear our minds. And so the thing that I say is that the mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So your mind thinks involuntarily, just like your heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up will be as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It doesn't work. And because this is the criteria by which most people are judging themselves, they feel like they're failing. And then they quit before, like I said, they've even started. And that makes me sad because they potentially rob themselves of a lifetime of greater bliss, of a lifetime of greater fulfillment, of lifetime, all these beautiful scientific things that you've done such great care of researching because they're simply judging themselves based on misinformation. Yeah. Well, that's, that's powerful. So make the investment and learn those skills. And then you have that as your, your foundation to practice from that point on. It's also really worth doing a science-based meditation, doing something that has its roots in science, because there's so much good science now showing what is really most effective. And so if you pick things that are, are rooted in this whole new field called contemplative neuroscience, then you have a good, a good chance of of, of doing well. So you make the investment, you then have the experience that encourages you to do more. And then where do you travel from that point on? With Ziva or for me personally, when I started? Both. Okay. So when I first learned, and then when I first started teaching, I was just teaching meditation. We should define, because the way I talk about meditation is likely a little bit different than most other people in that I find that most people are using the terms mindfulness and meditation as synonyms. And I like to delineate the difference between the two. And I'm sure you have your own thoughts on this. So I'd love for us to elaborate on it, but I would define mindfulness, which is what most people are calling meditation, right? The apps, the YouTube videos, the drop-in studios, anytime someone's guiding you through, anytime you're directing your focus, I would actually put that in the category of mindfulness, which is very good at dealing with your stress in the now. And it is a directed focus style of meditation. So you're visualizing your chakras, you're counting your breath. Someone's taking you on a visualization of a waterfall, but your prefrontal cortex is engaged. It is a directed focus. I would put that in the bucket of mindfulness. Mindfulness. Again, very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Different than what I teach at Ziva, which is kind of like the main course of Ziva is meditation. And how I would define that is deep, restful surrender. It's all about letting go. You're actually giving your body rest that's about five times deeper than sleep. And you're accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness, which is different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming. And so this, this type of meditation is very good at dealing with your stress, not only from today, but all that stress from our past. And this is a really important delineation because if all you're ever dealing with is your stress from the now, it's like you're, you're taking water out of the sinking boat. You know, it's the new stress that's coming on each day, but you're never getting rid of the backlog that you've been accumulating. And, and that is where I find a lot of people get that return on investment. That's where they get this huge leap in cognitive performance because they're actually going in and cleaning house. They're, they're healing themselves on a cellular level versus just creating like a mental state change. It's the difference between a state change or a trait change. I would define as a difference between mindfulness and meditation. And then the last thing that we teach at Ziva, so the Ziva technique is the three M's. It's mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. And then manifesting, I mean, you, know, you literally wrote the book on it, Mind to Matter, which is you know, consciously creating a life you love. Explain that fourth state of consciousness in more detail. In waking, sleeping, and dreaming states of consciousness, uh, right and left hemispheres of the brain are sort of functioning in unison. And it's 
it is, I mean, we're all very familiar with waking, we're all very familiar with sleeping, we're all very, very familiar with dreaming. But this fourth state of consciousness where people access in Ziva, I call it the bliss field. And it's, it feels very much like you're falling into sleep. Like in the first 15 to 30 seconds of it, it's like you're walking through the same doorway to get to a different room. So it feels almost like sleep, but then you take a different turn and you go into this other state of consciousness where it's very restful. A couple of things happen in the body. One, your metabolic rate decreases. That's the rate with which the body consumes oxygen. Doesn't mean you're going to gain weight. Heart rate slows and body temperature cools. Also, right and left hemispheres of the brain start to function in unison. So if you were to hook your brain up to an EEG machine, which is electroencephalography hardware, you know, instead of just right and left brains doing their own thing, they start to, you know, there starts to be this beautiful cohesion and, or I guess coherence rather. And, you know, as you've again, like written the book on, when you get into that like heart mind coherence, this is where the magic starts to happen. This is when we start to feel like we're in flow state, not just in the meditation, but what we start to see is that as you develop a daily practice, and what I teach is twice a day, you're dipping into this state, that flow state starts to come with you even with your eyes open, even after the meditation. So it's going back to this saying that we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Because again, no one cares what your EEG signature looks like when you're sitting with your eyes closed. Everyone cares how serendipitous and how much flow and how much creativity you have. Yes, absolutely. We'll be into a break in a moment, but we'll pick up from some of those themes afterwards. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and my guest today is Emily Fletcher. Her book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I love sharing with you practical tips and tools that can help up-level your health and well-being. And again, as always, I urge you to practice these things, use these things in your life, and see how they can shift you. They can shift your health, they can shift your mood, they can shift your energy levels, they can shift your future, they can even shift the world around you. I really encourage you to have a consistent practice. The same thing doesn't work for everybody. For some people, it might be a movement style of, of really boosting your sense of wellness and well-being. For other, other people, it's something that is really inward. Other, for other people, it's ecstatic dance. There's Sufi dancing, and there are these various movement kinds of practices that can really really be, be valuable for you. Time in nature now has been shown to have epigenetic effects. We literally have upregulation of immunity genes, and we have downregulation of inflammation just by spending time in nature. So use these tools. There are about 30 of them that I mentioned in my books, and there's no one size fits all, but use the ones that you find come to hand, experiment with them, and then work them into a routine that really fits with your lifestyle. Also, right now, the publisher is giving away free copies of my newest book, Bliss Brain. You can get a free copy at blissbrain.com. Blissbrain.com for a free copy of Bliss Brain. You just pay shipping and handling. Also, you'll get eight free guided meditations and a group of other bonuses as well at blissbrain.com. So grab a copy and please do share. My goal is to inspire a million people, one million people to meditate in the next year. So I want us to have a big effect on our own lives and a big effect on the world. And you'll read more about that at blissbrain.com. My guest today is Emily Fletcher. 
Her book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. Highly recommended book, full of anecdotes and stories, full of science and a really systematic approach, not just for a consistent meditation practice yourself, but also for things like tips, very brief exercises. She'll give you some one or two minute exercises that can send to you and then extend the effects of meditation throughout the day. So Emily, you mentioned meditating twice a day. What's your personal practice and how did you come to that, that kind of a formula of twice a day? So my practice is I'll wake up in the morning, do a little tongue scraping, which for the Ayurvedic fans out there and Ayurvedic medicine, it's nice to remove that sort of like ama or toxins off your tongue first thing in the morning. I'll have some water and then I'll basically meditate first thing. I do about a minute of mindfulness, which is just like sensory awareness, breath work, and then about 20 minutes of meditation. And then I finish with about two minutes of manifesting. So for me, manifesting is imagining my dream day. Sometimes it's my day. Sometimes it's a bigger thing that I'm looking to create in my life, but I'll imagine it as if it's happening now. So creating those feelings of the future as if it's happening currently. And then I actually have recently joined this group of I mean, we lovingly call ourselves like white witches, um, but we we have a partner who play this game. So every six weeks we play a game and we're like, it's a something we're looking to create in our personal life or our professional life. And then we partner up. And so at the end of my manifesting, I text my partner and I do, I tell her my whole day as if it's done, you know, like Oprah calls this many sales on this, you know, and, but then we have to report back at the end of the day. So you can't just be like, I, then I bought a horse farm and then unicorns started raining down. Like it has to be based in some sort of, you know, reality because you have to say like, yes, it happened. No, it didn't. It's going to happen tomorrow. And that's really, I've only been doing that now for about six weeks, but it's just really sped up my rate of manifesting because there's accountability because I'm, I'm writing it into being. I'm already bringing it into the manifest and it's helping me to clarify on what I really think I can accomplish or even order from what I like to call the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant in a day. <laughs> um, so that's my morning routine. And then somewhere mid-afternoon, early evening, when I start to feel myself getting a little fuzzy where I would have had a nap or a chocolate or I don't drink coffee, but where people usually crave that coffee, that's where I like to do my second meditation. And because with Ziva, you're giving yourself rest that's about two to five times deeper than sleep. A 15-minute meditation can feel like an hour-long nap but you don't have that sleep hangover on the other side. And so I like to get ahead of that crash, you know? So I like to do it somewhere in between like one and four-ish, depending on my day. And then I feel like I have, like I just filled up my tank of gas and I can, you know, do interviews in the late afternoon. I can be more present and kind and energized with my son. I, I enjoy making dinner versus feeling like it's a slog and I'm exhausted, you know? So it's just, it's this whole reset on my day and I feel refreshed and recharged versus running on adrenaline and cortisol, which, you know, make you more acidic over time. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And um, mm -hmm. one of the interesting things about meditation research is that if people do meditate early in the day, often the effects last throughout the day and you're much more in flow throughout the day. Teresa Mabele at Harvard did a study and found that the effects last about 48 hours just from a brief centering or flow exercise early in the day for two days after that, you maintain that. So if you're boosting yourself in the afternoon and then doing it every day, you're then able to maintain those effects throughout your life and really start to feel seriously good. Yeah. So you might like this. So this is not math math. This is sort of like art math. It's more illustrative math, but I think it's a nice way of just framing the importance of twice a day. So if you imagine waking up on Monday and you pick up 10 units of stress on a Monday, but you go to sleep at night, you sleep off seven units of stress, right? So you picked up 10, sleep burns away seven. You wake up on Tuesday, you already have three in the account. You pick up 10, sleep away seven. Now you've got six, nine, 12. So we're just building up stress over time. Because for most of us with our busy lives, the food that we're eating that's not 
food. Sleep is not an effective enough form of rest to handle the level of demand that most of our modern bodies are under. So then we insert meditation, right? Wake up on Monday, pick up 10 units of stress, meditate Monday morning, that burns away three units, meditate Monday afternoon, that burns away three units. So we're left with only four. Go to sleep Monday night, sleep burns away seven, wake up on Tuesday, now we have negative three. Pick up 10, burn off a total of 13, now we're at negative six, negative nine, negative 12. And we just keep doing this bit by bit, day by day, until we've gotten rid of the entire backlog of stresses we've ever accumulated. Now that for most people can take seven to 10 years before you're just at full like neutral, but still it's like, we're not talking lifetimes. We're not talking decades. We're talking, you know, seven to 10 years to burn through, you know, what could have been, you know, many all-nighters, many Jack Daniels, many Taco Bells, many breakups, you know, many life experiences. <laughs> you know, one, one thing that uh, you don't talk about in the book, but I began to really reflect on, there's a bit of 15-year research project at Stanford University in Palo Alto on people who have reached that state and then learned, learned to stay there. And it got going in the early 2000s. And the researchers looked at people who they call them the finders. So they've gone from being seekers to being finders. And they're permanently in this kind of, what well, these Stanford people are academics, they call it persistent non-dual awareness persistent non-dual awareness. They're just, they're, they're really highly happy. And again, the Tibetan monk studies show that they're making 25 times the amount of gamma. So they're super happy. They're, they're there most of the time. And one of the things that they find is really vital is to give people an initial glimpse of this. So you invested in that four-day retreat initially. You made your investment. You got what they call the glimpse. And then you knew where to go from there. And then one thing that I tr I'm trying to conjure with in a structured kind of program is where does psychological trauma come in? Because people have been traumatized. Many people have been mildly traumatized. Some people have been severely traumatized about PTSD. So sure, you get to bliss, but there are all these uh, examples of great masters who've gotten to bliss and maybe had huge numbers of his disciples. And it turns out that they're doing all kinds of things. And the dark side, the shadow side is coming out. And below the, even though they, they're in these exalted states of consciousness, below the level of conscious awareness very often, certainly below the, the, the level of public knowledge, they're doing pretty nasty things with their, with their students. That's part of traumatization, unhealed trauma, either self-harm, harm to others. How, I mean, can that really expunge even trauma, do you think? Well, I'm so glad you brought this up because this exact thing is exactly why I created the Ziva technique. Because I was, like I said, I just was learning, I was just taught meditation and I was only teaching meditation for the first six years of my career. And I just started noticing of two phenomenons. One, more people were quitting than I liked. I was like, I don't understand how someone gets the keys to the kingdom and then puts them down. I'm like, this is the thing. Like, this is the thing you're looking for. This is the way you're gonna find happiness. How on earth could you quit? So that was one thing, problem I wanted to solve. But two, I started seeing exactly this. Gurus, people who were supposed to be in very high states of consciousness, people who've been meditating for decades, who people were flocking to, who were acting in ways that did not feel in line with integrity to me, that did not seem in line with someone who was in a permanent state of non-dual awareness. So I don't understand how you could get there and then still have not healed this darkness. And so part of the Ziva technique is one of the ways we use the mindfulness is to help people to purge that tharsis that can come, which is a, a bigger conversation, which we might want to come back to in a moment. Yes, later on, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're gonna do a break right now. You're listening to High Energy Health. My guest today is Emily Fletcher. Her book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. Please come back after our break. Don't stress in the meantime. We'll see you back here in three minutes.
Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I am Dawson Church. I am your high energy host. And I so love sharing with you about all the breakthroughs we're finding now in how you can become a lot happier. As I mentioned earlier, that study of Tibetan monks, MRI studies, 25 times the level of that happy wave of gamma as other people. I mentioned the finders, and one of the problems that they have in the finders course, in the finders material, the finders studies, is that you get so happy, it's actually pretty hard to even communicate with the people who are stuck in unhappiness. And so I want you to be that way and practice, as you're discovering on today's episode, is the key, making that commitment and sticking with it. My guest today is Emily Fletcher. Her book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. Also, if you'd like to get a copy of my new book, List Brain, it's available now from the publisher for a limited time for free. You pay shipping and handling, but nothing else. You also get eight free guided meditations, and they're very simple, they're very basic, but they'll have you evoke that state of bliss brain so you get what I called earlier the glimpse. Emily, now, one of the things that I'm wrestling with, and I don't know if you are too, I talked to the man who I regard as, as my most consistent teacher for the last 40 years, dear, dear friend, has been on the show a few times. And one of the, the, one of the problems we have is that we, we meditate every day. We do shed both our old stress and our new stress. We are in these states. And then you go out and you talk to your brother-in-law or your team member and they say, oh, geez, the fire. My, my best friend just said, I can't stand the fires. I, I, I can't stand the smoke here in California. I'm buying a house in North Carolina. Two days ago, another friend of mine said, can't deal with California. I'm moving to Portugal. Really, you know? It's like people are just so freaked out. Even people I think of as being really well-resourced are freaked out. And so it's like, how do you say to them, how do you, how do you, connect, how, how do you connect with them if you are in these elevated emotional and spiritual states? It's interesting because I think so many people are moving right now. I mean, I live in New York City. I've been in Brooklyn for the entire pandemic and social revolution. And I'd say 90% of my friends are gone. Nine zero percent of my friends have left New York. And now New York is interesting because we don't have as much nature. Apartments are smaller. You know, the, a lot of why you would live in New York, like that's gone for a little while. So I, I do understand that there are geographic realities to leaving New York. But I think holistically we're doing the I'll be happy when syndrome as it applies to geography, right? Like I'm feeling uncomfortable because things are getting highlighted right now. We are in a version of an apocalypse as defined by Michael Bernard Beckwith of the lifting of the veil, right? Of the seeing of the truth and things are getting sped up. Things are getting intensified. And so if you're, even if you are well-resourced, it's like, well, sometimes we assume I'll be happy when I get to a different location. I'll be happy when I change the partner. And it's always here. It's always now. And actually you had a beautiful conversation with me. I was in the depths of it, like in mid lockdown, I'm like, you know, helicopters all around me, marches happening outside me, I'm not sleeping. And I was in a pretty low place for me. And you and I spoke and you just lifted me right up. You just reminded me of what is possible. And it was such a gift. And so I just want to say thank you for that. And, and just say that you, you know how to do it. You're already doing it. <laughs> yeah. And what I find is that what I've been practicing myself, like I've been having these big community calls with my community and I post their fears in the chat box. And then I, I just sit there and I listen. I'm not laughing. I'm not smiling. I'm not happy. I'm really listening. I'm, I'm really feeling their pain and really tuning into it. And sometimes it, I, I just almost feel the pain as a substance. But then I find that as you do listen and as you do breathe and as you do just basically have a, a human level connection with people, then things start to lighten up and shift. And then there'll be a little yeah. smile in someone's, on someone's face. And then there'll be an opening for levity. And after yeah. half an hour, an hour, everyone's 
Hi. <laughs> yeah, and I think the thing, it's meeting people where they are. If someone is here and you try to come in and think, oh, it's all fine, yeah. just relax. That's rude and disrespectful and not actually acknowledging the reality of their experience. And so sometimes we have to take on a bit of a parental role. Like I have a two-year-old son and if he's crying because he can't find his dump truck, you know, I'm not going to be like, shut up, kid. That's dumb. Who cares about a toy dump truck? You know, it's like I have to empathize with his pain, even if it seems trivial to me or like a, like a solvable problem. I have to be right in there with him and eye contact and let him know that he feels seen and heard. And that's really all I think anyone ever wants is to feel seen and heard. And, and for me personally, I'm really learning how that term hold space is thrown around so much that I don't think anyone really knows what it means. But I'm actively cultivating what it feels like to hold space for someone because I, I would consider myself a recovering codependent, meaning that I just want everyone to be happy. And I want I want to avoid, I did want to avoid conflict at all costs, because other people's unhappiness cost me so much. So rather than sitting with it, rather than feeling it, rather than really empathizing it, I would just try and make it go away or gloss it over. And so I'm recognizing what resilience it takes for me to bravely meet and sit in and acknowledge someone's pain without trying to fix it or change it. And oftentimes that feeling of being met and safety can allow someone to move through it in their own time. And I think the mastery comes in with the ability to do that without letting it negatively impact you. Absolutely. And having a strong enough core to where you do sit there. And even if the pain of the world is in your lap, you are able to maintain your core while, while being with all that pain. That, that's a beautiful way to put it. Wow. Yeah. Sitting with the pain. Yeah, there's a lot of things we have to deal with. Yeah, there is. And I mean, I was talking to someone the other day and she said that normally when people go through some sort of trauma, like if four people go through trauma, at least one of them is going to need very specific ongoing care. And right now, if you think about the whole world really is experiencing some level of trauma, we certainly are not resourced right now to deal with a quarter of 8 billion people to deal with post-traumatic stress in some form or fashion. And so it's like, we really need to create an army of empaths, like an army of people who are resourced, who can come back to their own bliss, who do have these tools to purify their own nervous systems so that they can hold this proverbial space and be a support system for the people who are really going to need it in the coming months and years. I also think it's important to have community and have a group of people you can come to and be with who really are able to maintain it for you. So no, you know, Emily, for me personally, one of those people who I know I can go to and inhabit that space with, have that high space with five other people as well. Uh, what the, that finders program at Stanford is, has, has discovered is that these people who do reach that, what they call persistent non-symbolic non-dual awareness is they tend to flop with two or three, at most four or five other finders. They, they, they discover, they find each other, and then they, they have this like little mini support system, two or three people, four or five people, and they're the ones you can count on to always be there and help you maintain that, that state. So we really do reinforce, reinforce the, that in each other. I know it's, it's wonderful to, to do that and then just choose to say, you know, I may have my family, I may go be with them, I may have my people who like the same sport I like, my social club, whatever it might be. And then having your your spiritual group, your group that brings you into that high awareness and helps you maintain it is, I know for me, it's really important. Thank you for saying that. And I, I never heard that the finders call you, you know, the, the, those types of groups. I, I call it like a light post convention. You know, when the people come together. <laughs> and it's nice occasionally to come together as a light post, you know, shine each other's light posts. But then eventually you have to go out into the darkness. You have to go into the families and into the people that don't vote and act and talk and love like you love so that we can exchange ideas and spread more light. Yeah, that kind of community is really important. When I was researching this brain, I looked at 
the research on neuroplasticity and what produces the fastest neuroplasticity. And there's some fascinating studies showing that monks who meditate in community, in groups, produce neuroplastic changes quicker and more extensively than those who do it singly. So there's research now showing that this actually sparks neuroplasticity more than solo meditation, which is good to Thank know. Thank you for doing that research because I can feel it. Like I know it anecdotally to be true. I have a studio. Yeah. We get there with 60 people meditating every week. And that is different than meditating on my own, but I never had the science to prove it. So now yeah. I do. I can't wait for your book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes, that, that's the way it works. Please stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. Emily Fletcher's book is Stress Less, Accomplish More. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. Each week before I do this program, I sit in meditation for a few minutes beforehand and I, I visualize you, I picture you. I picture you being there, listening and being part of the conversation and then you getting exactly what you need from hearing the words and seeing the images and the ideas that we share here. I really am passionate about sharing these things with people. And I know that we're part of this community. So when I sit in meditation, I, I visualize you there. I know in consciousness, we're all one. I know that we are really together in the sense of being part of this great experiment in consciousness happening on planet Earth. So I feel you there. And I so intend that you get what you need to, what you need most from each episode of High Energy Health. Thank you for being here. It's a real commitment to your well-being to show up and join us. Also, for more techniques and tools, go and check out my new book, Bliss Brain, at blissbrain.com. And also at blissbrain.com, you'll get a free meditation. And you'll also get access to eight meditations that accompany the eight chapters of my new book, Bliss Brain. All of that at blissbrain.com. And for more on Emily's work, go to her website, which is ziva meditation.com mm -hmm. and her book is called stress less accomplish more so emily there are so many things i was just joking during the break that i i marked up your book and i dog-eared about 25 pages and then i actually forgot to ask you any, any of the questions i prepared that's the sign of a fun spontaneous interview <laughs> so emily uh, the, the concept though you have here in, you talk about the I'll be happy when syndrome, and we're always just deferring our happiness when we do that. But you talk about the, the definition of bliss versus happiness and that they're not the same. I really love the way you define bliss. Go ahead and share that idea mm. with us. Yeah, so my definition of bliss is that background knowingness that everything is playing out exactly as it's meant. It's that background of I'm trusting that everything is not going to be okay, that it is already okay. And the paradoxical thing that happens is that when we start to build this black background of bliss, and we start to have a bliss brain, we start to flood our bodies and brains with dopamine and serotonin, is that no matter, it actually frees you up to feel the full spectrum of human emotions. So oftentimes we won't even allow ourselves to experience full happiness because we're afraid of the letdown of full sadness. So a lot of people are living their lives between a four and a six. They're putting, they're putting guardrails around their heart because they don't want to get too excited for the fear of disappointment. And so once you have that trust, that knowingness, that expansiveness, you can take the guardrails off your heart and feel all of the colors of emotion. And it is an important distinction is that happiness and bliss are not the same. It is important to it is possible to experience bliss even when you're sad. 
it's possible to experience bliss even when you're angry. It would be the 0.001% of you that is trusting that everything is playing out as it is meant. And I think that it's important for us, especially in this time of pandemic, especially in this time of election, where things are changing so quickly that we really anchor in on and put our attention on that knowingness. On It might be 0.001%, but it's there. And if we put our attention on it, then it starts to grow. And paradoxically, the more we start to feel that bliss, the more we start to feel anchored and satiated and blissful right here, right now, it actually supercharges your manifesting abilities. Because when you're manifesting from a place of lack or need or want, then you're accidentally watering the, the weeds instead of watering the flowers. You're putting your attention on the lack of the thing versus feeling it and experiencing it as if it's happening now. And so I've really found that the combination of meditation and manifesting is so much more powerful than either one alone. Right, because you could meditate all day, but if you don't know what you want, nature can't give it to you. You could manifest all day, but if your body is stressed, chances are you don't believe that you deserve it. Plus, what you're seeking to manifest is likely to be disconnected from your highest good. It may be stuff you really want, but it may be just part of your conditioning you want that, and it may not really be from your highest good. But if you meditate first and connect then with the universe, then what you're likely to want to manifest changes. Yes. Beautifully said. Yeah, it's a, it's a two-way conversation. You're placing the order with the cosmic waitress, but also she's talking to you and saying like, hey, these are your gifts. This is how we want to use you in the world. So it really is a two-way conversation. No one is dictating in one direction or the other. I uh, watched Jean Houston. We were both keynoting a virtual conference two weeks ago. And I watched her, her talk and she said, don't be boring to God. She said, do interesting things down here on the earth plane and then God will come down and have a chat with you and get interested in what you're up to. But if you're into your own story, if you're into your own lack and limitation and problems, then you're, you're boring God. <laughs> yes, I love that so much. I've yeah. found that to be true. I've just basically let my whole life burn to the ground, like just in that I'm surrendering to all of this change and I'm in huge personal transformation in this global transformation and I've never felt more supported by nature. It's just high fives from nature all day, every day. My manifesting is speeding up because I'm, I'm willing to let go of the old in order to step into who I can become. Yeah, I know that it can be viewed through that lens, all of the challenges we face today are far more than before. And for people who are attached to the way things were, each insult just accumulates until eventually it becomes overwhelming. But for those who are flexible, you dance this way, you dance that way, you dance you know, the next way, you're dancing with the universe and you just, you actually aren't stressed. It's, it's actually quite hard to explain to people around you <laughs> That's such a beautiful title, Dancing with the Universe. That should be your next book, Dancing with the Universe. <laughs> yeah, because you're, a bit, you're able to adapt. And I would say that's my favorite benefit of meditation is that it increases your adaptation energy. That where no matter what life is throwing at you, you're, you're adapting like Neo in the Matrix, right? You don't change the demands coming at you. You change your ability to adjust, adapt, flow, dance. And that's when things get interesting, both for you and for God. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And then you are this co-creative flow of meditation and manifestation. And then the things you, you want are the things that are in alignment, not only for your own highest good, but highest good of all. And I know that that's very different. I was mentioning to you on the break that that's very different from the way people who usually teach or think about the law of attraction teach it. But just saying, I surrender. And then in the great monastic tradition, it's non nobis domine, thy will be done. Just, you know, I just surrender myself to the great beyond. And, and then I become an instrument for, as Sassan Francis said, the instrument of, of thy peace. You know, you just become that in the world and you seek to do things that express those higher values and that higher cadence, which is always in sync with everything else going on in the cosmos. So mm -hmm. it's a powerful way, and it's a very different way of seeing manifestation. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, because of some of our mutual friends that have sort of brought that law of attraction into the, you know, popular vernacular. And I think we all owe them a debt of gratitude of introducing this concept that thoughts become things. And in order to introduce that in a popular way, they had to sort of capitalize on the I'll be happy when syndrome, you know, put a Ferrari on your vision board and you'll get a Ferrari, you know, that was meeting people where they are. Now, you know, people who have been practicing these spiritual things for longer, I think we can have a higher level conversation, which is that if you are really tapped in and listening to your divinely inspired desires, that it's not about you'll be happy when you get the Ferrari or the girlfriend or the zero in the bank account, is that you're already as an indicator of where to deliver your fulfillment to the world. And so what I found is that meditation and manifesting together transitions me from being a bag of need looking to be fulfilled, even through the law of attraction, right? Let me attract my boyfriend and then I will be happy. It's like, no, I'm meditating. I'm already fulfilled. I already have dopamine and serotonin coursing through my brain, my brain and body. And now I will use my desires as nature's GPS. Where is nature guiding me to go and deliver my fulfillment to the world? And I find that when that shift happens, it changes everything. It does change everything. Absolutely everything. Emily, thank you so much for sharing your passion, your wisdom, your joy with us today. I feel totally inspired. I can feel that I have so much dopamine and serotonin flowing through me right now. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to go and share it. Bless you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You've been listening to High Energy Health. For more on Emily's work, go to zivameditation.com. Her book is Stress Less, Accomplish More. For a free copy of my latest book, go to whispain.com. It's Dawson Church. We'll share again next week. Till then, be healthy, 